Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends, just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Are we coming out of the trough? I mean, that may sound like a crazy question when the averages are flirting with their all-time highs, even as the action ultimately turned negative today. Dow dipping 105 points, S&P declining 0.80, and the now beleaguered tech-laden Nasdaq plunging 1.69%. But for months, this market's been led by the COVID winners, the names that do just fine when the economy's frozen. Those are not the stocks that lead us higher when times are good, though. But as we saw today, the COVID plays can absolutely lead us lower when the economy's improving. So are we finally emerging from the trough? Well, let's consider the case here. First, you need to know, we're in a dangerous place. It's dangerous to be where we are because you can never tell if the economy is really at an inflection point until after. And even if it is, the COVID stocks make up such a huge portion of the averages, as you know, say $14 trillion worth, they can drag down everything. We're now in the third day of this rotation out of the fastest growing COVID winners and to the big uglies, the industrials, the financials, the travel, leisure, retail. These groups have struggled to find their footing because they're the COVID losers. But now, at least in the morning today, but the last two days, they're on fire. I mean, did, did they give up the ghost at the end of the day? I'm not so sure this time. Maybe these unloved stocks can escape the trough while the high flyers find themselves buried alive after a fabulous run. I mean, wouldn't it be something if you saw, like, Okta or Ping in here? Is that Ping? Ping? Oh, no, it's not Ping. Anyway, so is this yet another temporary rotation that will quickly flame out? Or are we really coming out of the trough and switching to recovery mode? With this kind of call, you cannot jump the gun. Many have tried, as we've had a series of three-day rotations into the Caterpillars and the Boeings, and then they went right back down, and growth burst higher again after recharge. But sooner or later, we are going to turn the corner, and these moves, they will stick. It happens. It always happens. For months, we've been in pandemic mode. The stay-at-home stocks from Zoom Video to Take-Two Interactive to McCormick, the spice company, to the cybersecurity plays. They've all been on fire. Same goes for the big six. And I'm talking about Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, and Microsoft. These are all companies that happen to do better when you're stuck at home. And their stocks have monopolized the new high list, about 20% of the market. In many cases, getting the kind of valuations that we haven't seen since the faded dot-com era. Now, though, there are plenty of signs that we're leaving the trough, at least for the publicly traded companies that have been stuck there, the recovery plays. Now, this requires a real leap of faith because we've still got 10% unemployment, incredibly high. That's down from nearly 15% in the spring. So we're headed in the right direction. We have a horrific number of people who can't cover their rent, can't even put food on their table. But as we'll hear later, commercial rents are increasingly being paid. You have to remember, though, the stock market is not a reflection of the entire economy. 
It doesn't tell you how America's doing as a whole. It never has. We're not trading unemployment futures or hair salon options or boutique gym ETFs. We're trading stocks of medium to large sized businesses. So what matters to big business? Well, COVID cases and deaths are both coming down, though from an alarmingly high level. The Russians claim they have a vaccine, though they haven't fully tested it. Doesn't matter. We know that a trustworthy vaccine is on the way. If you think we'll be in the clear six months from now, then you have to swap into the recovery stocks now. Because if you wait for the all clear, the actual all clear signal, I promise you, you'll be too late. And listen, I'm betting that it is the real trough. I suspect the cyclicals, industrials, and banks could lead us from here. Not the COVID stocks, although that doesn't mean they'll be destroyed. Why? Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just walk you through this. I'm going to give you 12 tells that suggest this move is genuine, or at least more genuine than the other, because obviously by the collapse at the end of the day, you can say nothing matters, okay? I don't believe that. I'm not that cynical. Let me give you the, the uh, underpinnings, all right? First, gold prices are plummeting. As long as gold was going higher, you had to keep the prospect of financial Armageddon on the table. Today's huge decline in the precious metal says maybe we're going to be fine. Second, interest rates are soaring. That's a textbook sign of either a stronger economy or a lot more government borrowing, like we get if uh, Congress can pass another stimulus bill. One way or another, it's good news. Third, oil's been making a stand in the low 40s. That's where many producers in the Permian Basin can actually survive. It's also an important sign of stronger demand. We don't want a collapse of the Permian. Fourth, there's real demand for travel. Surprising. Royal Caribbean poured an awful quarter. Their ships can't go anywhere. But the stock soared because they're getting a normal amount of reservations for next year's cruises. Once we get a vaccine, people are fine going on cruise ships again, which is huge after all the terrible COVID headlines this spring. The airlines are starting to see a pickup in traffic, too, admittedly, again, off a very small, small low base. You can't wait until they're half filled, though. You have to get in ahead of the turn. And Marriott says the bottom has already been put in. Airbnb is going public, for heaven's sake. It's sure sign that things have turned up. Fifth, the biggest shopping center owner, Federal Realty, which we will hear from later tonight, and the biggest shopping mall owner, Simon Properties, have seen major increases in rent payments month over month after a hideous period of deferrals and outright defaults. Not in great and absolute terms, but certainly relatively better than where we were. Many of the things I'm talking about are relative versus absolute. Six, it looks like the autos, at least in Europe, are back. JPPG, giant chemical paint company, pre-announced a sharply better than expected number, driven by paint for high-end cars, particularly European. Anything that's good for cars is also good for DuPont, a stock we own for the Chapel Trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. I'll be talking about DuPont on our Thursday club call, which you might want to listen in on. Seventh, Boeing reported some heinous order numbers, and the stock went up anyway. And that is what a bottom tends to look like, although it was up much more during the day than at the close. It's also extremely bullish for Boeing suppliers like Honeywell and Raytheon. That's, remember, that's the old United Technologies. That brings us to the eighth tell. Honeywell caught an ugly downgrade today. Its stock rallied anyway. We also caught a negative 3M note. Now, this was really incredible. It said, basically, if the uh, Democrats win, then this company's going to be in real trouble over groundwater pollution. But it didn't matter. 3M stock went higher anyway. Ninth, Caterpillar's last quarter was truly disappointing, and I couldn't think of a single reason to buy the stock. But uh, others look at Cat as the sainted industrials, the one you have to reach for and hold for the fabled $10 in earnings power if the economy turns around. Sure enough, Caterpillar keeps climbing. Tenth, the banks! 
A week ago, everybody was worried about J.P. Morgan's us claiming bad, bad loans. I was watching Brian Sullivan's show. This guy came on and said, listen, they're going to have to cut all their dividends. Well, that was not very, uh, let's say, in keeping with what only happened in the last week, because Wells Fargo was considered on the ropes, but not anymore. Goldman's been trading below book value, and people were just sick of owning Bank of America. Suddenly, though, this group has come alive, which suggests that the bad loans might run their course sooner than expected. And Jamie Dimon looks like he's got it going again at J.P. Morgan 11 tells Nike. This thing's a fabulous bellwether for the whole apparel cohort. Yesterday, Foot Locker reported much better than expected quarter. Nike roared in response. Then it spent most of the day going higher before giving up the ghost at the end of the session. Apparel's been in the doghouse for ages, but if Nike's back, that's a very big deal. You might want to look into that one, especially if it goes below 100. Finally, number 12 is freight. United Parcel put up an amazing number last week, which created some phenomenal pin action for FedEx, uh, although they both got slammed today after nice openings. The rails have been rallying, too. They're very economically sensitive, and they continue to run today. Very important. The transports rarely lie. All right, now here's the huge question. If the recovery stocks are ready to make a comeback and the big technology names get hammered, can the market handle the switch without giving up the ghost entirely? Now, initially, it looked like the COVID plays could hang in there, but then they collapsed and took the averages down with them. Remember, the COVID winners have been able to lead us to incredibly lofty levels. We could be in a weird situation where an improving economy hurts the averages because these high flyers, the Shopify's, the NVIDIA's are so now heavily weighted in the major indices, not to Apple, Microsoft. Either way, the bottom line is, that you need to stick with what I call the barbell, meaning own some recovery stocks and some COVID stocks. But I do think it's time to lighten up on some of those COVID names and swap into more stocks that are like Honeywell and DuPont. Don't be greedy with the Kramer COVID-19 index. As we get closer to slowing, not solving, but slowing the pandemic, it will be time to ring the register on at least some of the stocks that do better when COVID thrives. Jaden in New York, Jaden. Yes. Hi, Jim. I'm so excited to talk to you. First time I do this. Oh, fantastic. What's up? Well, all right. Here's the thing. Um, Shares of canopy growth jumped to 13% yesterday after recording a lower than expected loss in fiscal first quarter earnings. Um, In 2019, Constellation Brands former chief financial officer, David Klein, was appointed chief executive officer of canopy growth. Constellation owns 38% of Canopy, and they've taken the reins to cut costs substantially this past year. Management has worked diligently to transform Canopy's growth right. balance sheet. They're, they're also waiting in the wings of U.S. legalization to acquire Rich Holdings, which is about 18 branches throughout the U.S. But, Jane, here's the problem. Jane, hey, look, you know, I, I like Klein very much, but the problem is they need the Democrats to win. If the Democrats sweep, you've got a stock that's up 50%. If they don't, well, more of the same, because the company was really wrecked before Klein got there. Mohammed in Florida. Mohammed. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Very well, thank you. How about you? Good. Uh, so Uber got hit pretty hard after their earnings on Thursday, and then again today after they were ordered to start classifying drivers and employees. Do you think investors should buy in during this dip? I was, uh, uh, I, I, I was stunned, stunned that they uh, had that problem. The California problem, uh, there's no edge to them now. I don't know how they're going to. They have a lot of work to do to be able to get their costs down. I don't think they can do it. This was very bad for them. Let's go to Corey in New York. Corey. Jimmy Chill. Yo. Rochester, New York. I need to settle debate with my brother. Phil 66, PSX. 
I bought it at 77, 74, and then 69 on the dip. Great dividend yield, 5.5%. They're well-diversified, refining, natural gas, chemicals, specialties, joint ventures, strong balance sheet, $8 billion liquidity, kind of heavy debt. Pending a lawsuit with Dakota Pipeline, Mr. Lasterney's call. Please settle the score by saying, booyah, better than you, Todd. It's a buy and continue to buy on the dip. I can't give you a booyah buy. I just can't. I would love to. I love to please people, but I can't do that. I don't think that that stock is worth owning. Occidental, by the way, I'll give you a twofer, is another stock that should be sold tomorrow morning. All right. I want everyone to stick with the barbell. Then we don't have to be faced with this idea that some get left in the trough and you get hurt and others go. Try to get the highest quality COVID winners and the highest quality economic recovery winners. High quality meaning don't pay a fortune. Don't pay 20 times sales anymore, 30 times sales. That's not going to work. But don't be greedy either. I need to see some register ringing. We did some for the club today. Oh, man, money tonight. There's nothing minor about Owens and miners move higher since March. But can the uptrend continue? I've got the top brass. Then I'm giving a tip of the hat to Fed Chief Jay Powell. I'll explain why. And I'm taking a look at the health of the American consumer and the future of the shopping mall where the company has got insight like the weather. Don't miss my sit down with Federal Realty. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or Give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. When the pandemic first took the world by storm, I started recommending a tiny medical supply company called Owens & Minor, which is nevertheless one of the largest producers of personal protective equipment, PPE, in America. Think N95 masks, gowns, gloves, surgical equipment, everything hospitals need to protect their employees from COVID. We spoke to the CEO at the end of March. He told a terrific story. At the time, the stock was trading at five bucks. We loved it. Wall Street hated it. Now it was, it's at 15, with most of the move coming on July 21st. After the company pre-announced some incredible second quarter numbers, doubled their full year earnings forecast. That's incredible. Stock surged 81% in a single day, falling from $8 to $14.40. By last week, it had run all the way to 17 but last Tuesday night, Owens and Minor reported its full second quarter results. And because the bar had already been raised so high, their sales came in a bit weaker than expected. And the earnings were merely in line. But, you know, this was already pre, preordained. But the stock got pancaked. It fell to $12.75 by Friday. I think that was an overreaction. The market clearly agrees because this thing's flying again. Up another 7.63% today to $14.82. Even as I said, Wall Street doesn't like it. Even at these levels, the stock is darn cheap, selling for just under 15 times earnings, assuming they only hit the low end of their guidance. While you've already missed the post-earnings dip, I want you to be ready for the next pullback because this company is practically printing money right now. So let's check in at this moment with Ed Pasika 
Okay, and that is the president and CEO of Owens and Miner to get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Persigo, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, thank you. Thanks for the invite. Okay, so Ed, we, we've got to go over uh, how big PPE is and how it's, uh, as much as we'd like to think it's just going to fall off a cliff, it probably won't. And how you managed to put new machines in, get them running, and are really answering a major part of this pandemic. And it's not over, correct? That's correct, Jim. How much more do we need? So here's, here's what we've done, Jim. You know, so when we talked back in March, we had existing production lines. And, and i got to give credit to our teammates. We had people on the line, the line workers themselves. We had management. We looked at it, and we tried to find ways to increase production off of those machines. And, again, I'll give credit to all those teams. And we found ways to increase production off of those lines. For example, N95s, an additional 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%. And, and that enabled us to increase our production from back in March to where we are today. We continue to analyze that. We continue to have a focus on process improvement, additional output, and manufacturing efficiency. Because even today, there's still an imbalance between demand and supply in the marketplace. Now, if I were uh, running the show, uh, the healthcare show in the United States, I would call you, and I know we, uh, the government gave you some money, I would say we yep. need... 10 we need a supply of 10 billion masks just in warehouses and refresh it if they go bad. We can never have a shortage again. Will we do that? You know, Jim, I actually think it's a little bit of combination of stockpile and storage in addition to that excess capacity. So that way you have the ability when the initial surge comes to use that stockpile to, to plenish the system. And then while that continues, you have the ability to take that excess capacity that exists to produce. So one of the things we've done is, as you, t as you stated earlier, we got some funding. We added, we added incremental machines in, in the United States. We have manufacturing capabilities in Lexington, North Carolina, that makes all the fabric used for masks, isolation gowns, surgical gowns, N95s. We have new lines up and running in Del Rio, Texas. And, and here's what else we did. You know, we, since we manufacture products ourselves already and understand the process, we originally thought it would take about six months to get those machines up and running. So we'd look in the end of October. And as I stated last week, I'm excited and proud that we actually are starting to get product coming off of those lines already. So just in several months and ahead of schedule. And again, that's going to enable us to provide more product to the U.S. market, to the healthcare, to help with the stockpile. Um, and, and that's really what I think you have to do to make sure that we get through this issue as well as continue to have capabilities going forward should this happen again. And I think you should, with a lot of people wearing different kinds of masks. And please just explain to people sure. uh, what the N95 does and how it's different from, say, the Hanes brand mask you might get at Target. Mm. Yeah, so the N95 is an FDA-approved mask. It, it, it takes out about 95% of the particulates. Um, and I won't get into the detail on that. That's different than just a traditional mask you're wearing. Um, and so that's really what the N95 mask is used for. And then we have other masks, your traditional ear loop surgical masks that we all make. We make, again, the fabrics are made in Lexington, North Carolina. And the bulk of those products are being made in Del Rio, Texas, as well as in the other parts of the Americas where we manufacture. Now, you are, like I said, you're, just, you're doing so well there. But uh, the analysts are also very concerned about uh, your service business and concerned about sure. uh, elective surgery and concerned about your debt load. And I think you've answered the debt load time and again by taking it down. I am concerned that the service business is a very tough business. I know it's got to be done in conjunction with, with, with supplies, so I'm not a, against it. But I am concerned that the analysts are so vociferously against 
Yes, so let me t touch on both of those, Jim. So on our debt, you know, we paid down almost 20% of our debt in the last five quarters. You know, so we continue to do that, and that's really through, you know, running our operations better and continuing to be focused on that. And then if I look at the service business, you know, I think we were clear when we talked about in the earnings call, we saw elective procedures drop substantially in the months of April and into May. You know, we saw those come back up. We expect elective procedures um, to maintain at around a 90% level for us going forward. You know, and that's part of what that service business is, the whole med surge. Um, so while we do sell a significant portion of PPE, we also service the, the complete acute care system. And that has ebbed and flowed as elective procedures have gone up and down in the last several months. I mean, I think we'd all love it if PPE were to die down, but I think that everything changed. Uh, Ed, I think nothing's ever going to be the same again, and your company, because it makes it in America, is going to be the company we have to rely on. I, I, I would agree, and I think, you know, what we've seen, Jim, is is we've seen, you know, increased demand for building safety stock or, 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 or you know, for pandemic preparedness. We've seen new protocols in place. You're right. It's never going to be the same because we've got new protocols in right. place that are requiring masks, requiring PPE, you know, and people now have been wearing it for six months, you know, and, and you get into a habit of using it. And we also seen those protocols really being focused on. Plus, Jim, I think the other thing is outside of healthcare. You know, there's continued increased demand for that product outside of healthcare, you know, outside of that traditional market. And we see that as an opportunity going forward, yeah, I've, too. I've got yours. I've got one that looks like a duck bill. It's kind of funny. <laughs> that's, our, that's right. <laughs> I don't know. People laugh, but it works. And that's it, what that's matters. Right. That's what matters. That's, that's right. what matters. Ed Pasiga, thank you so much for what you're doing and for putting all those plants in America. Great to see you, sir. Jim, appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. That's Embassy's president and CEO of Owens and Minor OMI. They are in the sweet spot, people. May have money's back into the break. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. You want to understand this moment? Look at the stock of Royal Caribbean. Yesterday, the big cruise line reported a quarter that fell off the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down with a 93% revenue decline. Net loss of $1.6 billion. House of pain. Yet the stock rallied five points in response for attacking on an additional buck 36 today. Honestly, I think it's got more room to run, even though most of the ships can't set sail until November at the earliest. Why? Because the stock market's all about the future, not the present. Royal Caribbean's future is looking pretty darn good. They got $4.1 billion in liquidity and virtually unlimited borrowing power thanks to an implicit backstop from the Federal Reserve. More importantly, their bookies for 2021 are incredibly healthy, pretty much what you'd expect from a normal year, except 60% of bookies are from new people, which is really terrific. In fact, Royal Caribbean has an astounding $1.8 billion in customer deposits on hand, although they'll have to refund a lot of that if the CDC keeps pushing back the date when their ships can sail. If you're wondering how the heck this company is still in business when they haven't been able to operate for nearly half a year, the always gracious CEO Richard Fain explains that it's because they've been able to borrow lots of money and negotiate better terms with governments, vendors, shipyards, operators to get through this difficult period. But let's be real. 
He left out the biggest reason Royal Caribbean's still above water, the Federal Reserve. Specifically, Fed Chief Jay Powell's gutsy decision to backstop the bonds of troubled companies to prevent a wave of bankruptcies that would trigger massive layoffs and companies going bankrupt and really very difficult to be able to bumpty dumpty this darn thing. By making it clear that he would basically defend weaker paper, Powell enabled a whole series of companies to raise money. We saw this when Royal Caribbean's chief rival, Carnival, was able to raise $4 billion at the end of March. Admittedly, they're paying 11.5% interest, not the best terms, but without Powell, there would be no takers for that bond offering. And you know what? It's a very good thing. We constantly hear from pundits and disgruntled money managers who say this whole rally's been phony, that stocks are just propped up by the Fed, and once the Fed withdraws its support, the whole house of cards will come tumbling down. These people are deeply misguided, at least to put it diplomatically. You can't look at this as the Fed meddling with the faded course of the free market. This is a pandemic, for heaven's sake. It's literally the Federal Reserve's job to meddle with the free market. That's why we have a central bank. They tap the brakes when the economy's going too fast. They tap the accelerator when we're going too slow. And sometimes when the whole system's falling apart, they floor it. Directly buying corporate bonds is certainly a little unorthodox, but the alternative was letting hundreds of companies go bankrupt. Millions of people lose their job. 43,000 people work for Royal Caribbean. Is it unfair that companies like Royal Caribbean and, and Carnival effectively got bailed out? Eh, maybe. But also it would have been unfair to let them go under because the pandemic's not their fault. Powell decided that it's better to be unfair in a way that protects the economy and prevents Great Depression levels of unemployment. The price? A stock market within spitting distance of its all-time highs. Talk about a high-quality problem. And look, it turns out the cruise lines were worth saving. A lot of people thought this industry would never come back. But they've come up with protocols to keep people safe, and people are booking cruises for 2021 like it's 2019. So stop worrying about the Fed's distorting the market and just be thankful that our Fed chief has a heart and, more importantly, a brain, unlike many of his critics. Patricia in Florida. Patricia. Yes, Jim. Can you help me to understand why hotels and restaurant stocks are going up in price when very few people are traveling and eating out? Well, how okay, so you, you have to go. And how often? Sure, Patrick, what, it, what happens is this. It's a very, what I call, granular thing. You go and you listen to Arnie Sorensen on the Marriott conference call, and what he says is things are actually better than they were. You listen to some of the uh, airline CEOs, and things are better than they were. A lot of the retailers are saying things are better than they were. So that gets people buying because they think, oh, there's a trend line. Maybe things are going to continue to get better. You and I may be worried that that's not the case, but the companies themselves are being believed, and that's what matters. Let's go to Jake in New Jersey. Jake. Hey, Jim. How's it going? It's good, Jake. How about you? I'm doing good. Big fan of yours. Thank you. Uh, I had... I had just a question for you. Um, with the Big Ten uh, canceling full football, do you still see a drive for online casino stocks like DraftKings or even Penn National, especially with the extension of unemployment benefits? Well, i got to tell you, I think that basketball is bettable. Uh, I do think that they're going to try to do uh, football. I think baseball is bettable. I think there's a lot of sports being played. Uh, Penn National has been my favorite gaming stock for a very long time because they don't have Macau. I don't want China. And you know I like the Barstool deal. I introduced it on our show. So uh, what can I say? Uh, I'm not talking about uh, Dave's uh, uh, day trading thing, which is a lot of fun. You know that. It's bringing people in. I'm saying that he's running a sports book. Penn Nat is going to be the best sports book in the world. All right, Jay Powell is the reason these cruise lines can keep on cruising along. 
I think he's doing the right thing. His moves are not distorting the market. They're saving millions of jobs, much more mad money ahead. Even before COVID-19, malls were trying to adopt it to people buying more online. How's Federal really trust surviving the unknown? I'm talking with the CEO of this great real estate investment trust. Then no one has cracked the code on reopening schools, but Salesforce is trying to do its part. Now I've got the exclusive with the woman leading the charge. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. market keeps looking through the pandemic to a future where things can go back to normal. That's the lesson of this earnings season. Take federal realty. Here's a real estate investment trust that owns shopping centers, not malls, mostly in affluent suburbs. Big difference there, by the way. Needless to say, the shopping center business is still not in great shape right now. Federal realty reported last Wednesday it wasn't pretty. Even though expectations were low, the company did miss, and they did miss badly. They have whole categories of tenants that are really struggling here. Gyms, movie theaters, restaurants. Remember that experiential? Mm. The rent collection for July came in at 76% versus a year ago. Suboptimal. They'll up big from the low 50s this spring. Early August collections are looking even better. But, and this is a huge but, federal realty stocks soared in response for one simple reason. They didn't cut the dividend. In fact, they raised the dividend by a penny. This is a continuation of a long record, and the stock's got a bountiful 5.1% yield. If you believe we're going to beat COVID sooner than expected, if you think federal realty is much better than the others that are managed uh, in terms of its management, then the action sure seems to be saying, at least from, uh, before everything fell apart late in the day, that this could have a lot more room to run. And even if the pandemic drags on, the downside is relatively limited, given that the stock's still down more than 50 points from its February highs and its properties are being valued at a fraction of what they build them for. That's enticing risk reward. Don't take it from me. Let's dig deep with Don Wood, the president and CEO of Federal Realty Investment Trust, and incidentally, the first REIT executive we've had on in ages. Mr. Wood, welcome back to Bad Money. Jim, it's great to be back on, man. Hope you're doing well. Uh, doing fine. Hope your family's doing well. Very good. All right, Don, I've I've been on all your calls for I don't know how many years. Don, I have never seen you bring the passion, not just including the curse word, but the passion that you had. And I want to give you the floor because people think shopping centers are dead. People think no one's shopping. People think restaurants are done. Gym's done. Bankruptcy's galore. And yet you raise a dividend. What's that about? Well, let's, boy, you got to unpack a lot there, Jim. There's a lot to talk about. And, uh, you know, are things a mess in the middle of a pandemic? Of course they are. But to me, it's not about today. It's about a number of things. Whether we'll be able to make our way through this, I could not tell you how confident I am that that's the case. And more importantly, what's going to happen on the other side of this? Let's start with the dividend for a second. First of all, in a REIT, the dividend is probably more important to investors as a component of their total return than it is to most C-Corp companies, I would think. And so there should be, at least in my view, a a real robust attempt to continue to to effectively go through with the bargain that those investors paid for when they invested in the company. So the notion of of a continuing investment is a real important part to federal, so much so, as you pointed out, 53 years, that's since 1967. And well, there hasn't been a pandemic like this since 1967. There's been a whole bunch of recessions. There's been a whole bunch of interest rates in the high teens, all kinds of other things. And this company was able to continue to pay its dividend. Why and how? We're built for this and we're built to power through this. And it's not just in terms of the balance sheet and the liquidity, which is critically important, 
even now, we sat at the end of June with $2 billion worth of, of liquidity, both cash and an unused credit line, even with all the development that we're going to do, even with paying the dividend continually by February of next year, which I think you would agree we'd have an awful lot more visibility to the future, we'll still have $1.4 billion worth of liquidity right, Doc, uh, at Doc, the company. So we can pay it. All right. Now, you can pay it. doesn't mean you should pay it, right? Right. So let me right, get right. there for a second. Okay. If you okay. believe we can, then what? why should we? It's all about our confidence in what happens on the other side of this. And that's all based on not just the real estate itself, but more importantly, every conversation that we're having these days with tenants, prospective tenants, about where we're trying to get to on the other side of this. It's all about one premise, improving the where the the locations that they are doing business in. Well, would, so putting, in an, putting an Amazon warehouse improve the location? <laughs> we'll have that conversation if you want to about the mall side. I'll get there in a, in a second if you'd like to. But, but, but not for us, not in the shopping centers, not in the mixed use, not in the lifestyle stuff. Rather, what we're talking about is, is if you've been operating in that B or that C shopping center, here is that opportunity to improve your location. Now, why would you do that? Not only, not only because it's a proven retail location, but more importantly, today, think about it from a tenant's perspective. They don't know who their co-tenancy is going to be right. over the next right. few years. They don't know who their landlord is in, in, in terms of, of or, or needing to have a landlord that is liquid, that is visionary, that knows they'll be their partner in terms of an uncertain future. So John, I, I'm in the restaurant business. When it gets cold, we have no outside seating. We right. don't know what we're going to do. You have a lot of restaurants. You've come on many times, experiential, experiential. The experiential's hurting you. Um, you've got sure. sick, what, how many different companies are bankrupt that I know they're keeping the ones that are you're in, you're in, but they're chiseling away at your income everywhere, Don. Jim, there's no question that, that we entered into this whole mess in an over-retailed environment in the right. U.S., right? Well, certainly, what, no matter what category you're talking to, talking about, this will exacerbate failings. This will exacerbate the oversupply. That's the macro condition. There's, there's no question about that. But to me, that means there won't be, not everybody can be a winner here, so you better be pretty careful. You have to ask me, but where's, Don, your demand going to come from? to be able to backfill and to grow and to create value on the other side of this. That's where I'm saying, look at the, the improvement in real estate quality mm -hmm. that tenants who hadn't had that opportunity before can do now. That's what we're hearing. That's not a guess. Those but are do the you questions. need a vaccine? Does your strategy need a vaccine? First of all, the whole, every strategy, in my view, of a company, any company that's been hurt by this needs a vaccine. Okay. So fair, let's fair. let's get that off the table. Absolutely, there needs to be a, a vaccine. But but absent that, does not it doesn't mean, from my point of view, that that we won't get through this and be able to create everything I'm thinking about is not about today. It's about later in 21. But, but, but David Simon says the same thing to me. But then you know you had to adjust his dividend. You know, look. The enclosed mall business is a different business. Right. right. And when it, just going back to the, the Amazon, I mean, can you, I mean, the, the whole notion of last mile uh, delivery of, of a good right. has been the bane of, of, of online forever. Does it make sense to effectively get closer 
and, and you know, the close-in suburban malls to, to do that? Sure it does. I hope they do. Now, I don't know what that does to the merchandising of the, of the mall, but that's, that's a smaller problem, frankly, than, 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 you know, getting the right tenant in that space. But to me, Jim, nobody argues about this. The best way to deliver a, a, a good to the end user is to have that end user go to the store and pick it up. That's why what we're doing with the pickup, which as far as I know, is the most comprehensive landlord-organized right. program out in the street. And that's not something for this month or next month. That's forever. That's the way you engage the community with your uh, bricks-and-mortar retail. All opinion. right, so, Don, we're, we're going to have to cut it short. But, uh, look, I know that if, it's gonna, if anyone's going to pull it off, it's you. Uh, I did, it off. Everyone needs to read the conference call because you lay it all out. And I believed after I read the conference call, and I was skeptical before I did, Don. But I believe. All right? Jim, let's just show you over time. All right. Fair enough. That's Don Wood, the CEO of Federal Realty. Remember, he did not cut his dividend. He did not keep his dividend the same. He raised his dividend because he believes in himself and his organization. Mad Money's back in for break. It is time. It's time for the night. Round number two. Round girls. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Evan in Connecticut. Evan. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Evan. Hey, I had a question about Domino stock. I know they plan to have twice as many stores in 2025 as they do now. What do you think? Well, I mean, Domino stock is a COVID-19 stock, meaning that it's going to do better with COVID than without. That said, I think that as they fix the wings and they keep the price down and the mom and pops go under, it's going to do fine. Uh, I know that's, that's kind of a shame, but it's going to do fine. I would leg into it, though. Don't be aggressive. Stu in Florida. Stu! Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hope you get to see the Eagles play this year. Boat Generation comes out with its earnings before the opening Thursday. It's been on quite a tear. What's your take on it? Um, look, it's a $400 million stock, and I, I'm a big believer in Beyond Meat. Uh, this thing's had a good run. Maybe it explodes higher. I don't know. But Beyond Meat is, is the one that I think is in for the long haul. I'd like that growth generation on the show, though. Let's go to Leo in New York. Leo. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Uh, thank you for helping us small investors. Oh, you're quite welcome. Uh, Jim, I bought Trilio back in May, and have had a pretty good run. Yes. It declared uh, earnings in the second quarter, which which were very good, but the, the stock has been getting hammered. Uh, but look, the stock has doubled. I mean, this is what happens. It's a, it's a stock that people feel does better with COVID, uh, doing uh, unfortunately well. Uh, Jeff uh, Lawson was on TV today. He tells a great story. Let it come in. It's fine. It got a little expensive, a little ahead of itself, but it is fine. It will probably come down, but I like Twilio. Let's go to John in Ohio. John. Booyah, Jim, from Finley, Ohio. There you go. USA and hometown of Ben Roethlisberger. Go Steelers. All right. Not my division. Hey, Jim. Go ahead. Hey, Jim. Camping World shares fell despite beating expectations. Is this more of a pandemic high on this stock? Camping World? No, no. It's Philip. Marcus Lemonis is really, you know, I I think Marcus thinks we didn't start liking the stock uh, until it got higher, but it it got below. It got below the market cap we keep talking about. 
I think it's very well run. I think that people are going to continue to like camping. I do think this stock has had a major, major run, and all stocks like that are susceptible for a pullback. But, you know, look, he is a very good businessman. A very, very good businessman. Let's go to Rob in Massachusetts. Rob. Hey, Jim. Hi. Hi. I want your take on a uh, cybersecurity company trusted by customers such as Domino's and Thermo Fisher. They are projected to break and grow past $100 million in revenue for future earnings calls. I'm talking about Rapid7. Yeah, they're good. They're good. Now, the security stocks are all trading in one, as one cohort, and that's not a good cohort. So I think the stock could come down a bit, uh, and that would be include CrowdStrike, includes Okta, Palo. I think they're all under pressure for a little bit they've had such big runs, but it is a very, very good company. Anthony in Georgia. Anthony. Jim Kramer. It's Anthony from Atlanta. I've been waiting my entire life to do that. Well, there you go. We are right back in his entire life, Regina. Entire life. That's how long we've been on. Okay, what's up? All right, so this company has some patent disputes in their favor, capturing a couple billion in yearly revenue from settlements. And they're hopeful the Trump administration will roll back restrictions that could add a potential $8 billion in yearly revenue. Boeing, would you double down on, wait for it, Qualcomm? No, you just had a huge move. Why would you double down after a huge move? I mean, the stock is up gigantically. I, I, look, if it pulls in, I would be interested. But not, no, it, it already had the big move. We don't double down after. We double down before. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Our government, at all levels, has repeatedly dropped the ball dealing with the pandemic, but the private sector has really stepped up with Salesforce leading the way. A few months ago, they rolled out a new resource. It's called Work.com, designed to help businesses reopen safely based on lessons learned from Rhode Island, the only state in the Northeast that quickly got the initial outbreak under control. Now, though, back to school season is almost upon us, and reopening will be very risky. So earlier today, Salesforce announced that they're rolling out Work.com for schools to help them make data-driven decisions, communicate with students and teachers, and support remote learning if reopening isn't safe. At the same time, we learned that Salesforce is donating $20 million, that's million dollars, to support public schools in five major cities, San Francisco and Oakland, where they're based, Indianapolis, Chicago, and New York, with a focus on advancing equality and closing the digital divide. That's a key statement, digital divide. Poor students often don't have the fast enough internet for Zoom-based learning, or they may not even have the equipment. I've always said that business could be a powerful force for good. Salesforce is really exhibit A. So let's take a closer look with Ebony Beckwith. She's Salesforce's chief philanthropy officer and CEO of Salesforce Foundation. Ms. Beckwith, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. Well, Ebony, once again, we look at the market and we say to ourselves, okay, companies have to step up because governments can't seem to get it right. So many parents are worried about what's going to happen in the fall. The leaders don't seem to know. What's Salesforce advice? You know, Jim, I just want to back up a little. So we all know that COVID-19 has completely transformed and continues to transform really every single aspect of our life. And one of the most notable is in education, where the pandemic set into motion a series of interconnected crises, a crisis of inequality, of health and safety, of access and opportunity. And whether you're in kindergarten or you're in college, this has been really challenging for students and parents everywhere. You know, because on the one hand, we're, we all recognize the importance of getting our students back to school. 
their education, their future, their social, emotional, and behavioral health really depend on it. But on the other hand, this pandemic still isn't under control, and the health and safety of our students has to be our top priority. And at Salesforce, we want to do everything we can to support our schools. And we're really excited to put the full power of Salesforce behind education. As you mentioned, we're announcing work.com for schools to help schools reopen safely. And that $20 million, as you emphasize, to support Oakland, San Francisco, Chicago, Indianapolis, and New York City public schools as they navigate in this new normal. So we are bringing the number one CRM platform, all this technology to schools, to business, to governments. And we're really excited to be able to have this available for schools today. You know, I mean, one of the things I thought was great, there's a particular part of this where you're granting uh, principals what the, the, the ability to be able to direct. So often givers come in and say, I want to give, but this is what you have to do with it. And they don't know what a school needs. That's right. We believe that the principals are the CEOs of their school. They know exactly what's going on. And so what we've set up is uh, something called the Principals Innovation Fund, the PIF, as we lovingly call it. And it gives principals the ability to direct unrestricted funds. Last year, it was $100,000. This year, we doubled it in light of everything that's going on. So it's $200,000, giving those K-12 middle school principals the funds they need to support their schools. Really excited about that. Now, we all in the business world know Salesforce. Do the education educators know? know what you guys can do? They do. We have a, an entire team, an organization dedicated uh, to supporting education institutions from kindergarten to college. So we, we have some really amazing organizations that we're supporting with our product. Now, uh, how about this, the Student Success Hub, which I authors, yeah. uh, it's another thing I think you guys are doing. It's different from everybody else is doing. That's right. So you're so right, Jim. So there's so much more to a student's experience in school. When we think about investing in education, we want to think about the whole child. I like to say that kids can't learn if. They can't learn if they're hungry, they're homeless, or if they don't have the support they need. So really what we're doing with this Student Success Hub is we are providing that work.com technology, and that's really a command center. So administrators can see real-time data to make informed decisions. It's contact tracing, so schools can track the spread of a virus in the case of an infection. It enables schools to manage their facilities and shift scheduling because we know there's so much going on with the students and their schedules. If you think back to your own learning career where you had all the bells going off, it's chaotic and crazy in schools, right? And it also includes giving schools the ability to assess whether faculty and staff are healthy and able to return to work. And the most important piece is that it allows schools to manage critical communications quickly to reach families via email, text, or phone. And we're helping counselors support and support staff really remove those barriers to student success, giving them a complete view of their students' progress and the ability to create those personalized learning plans. So they can reach out and say, you know, I need a device, and they can provide the device. We don't have Wi-Fi. We need food. Right, right. So schools are, schools are the backbone of our communities. They're the heart and souls of our neighborhoods, and we need to do all that we can to support them. Emmy, how do you do everything? Because I know you're also the head of the, of the Racial and Justice Committee. Uh, chief philanthropic officer, and I spoke to Mark beforehand, and he said, you know what, I, I often have to learn from Ebony about what to do. So I know you've got your hands full. You do an amazing job. How do you keep it all together? You know what? It doesn't feel like a job. When you are doing good and doing well, it, it just it's a privilege to work at Salesforce every single day. We are, you know, really excited about the work we're doing, and it's a team effort. I just, everyone at Salesforce wholeheartedly believes in this. 
And we're excited today that we can do more good. Well, I'm proud to have met you in person. I hope to do to see you again sometime. And congratulations. On all the, we'll see each other. Congratulations on all the work you do and on your on the charity of Salesforce. Great to see you again. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. That's Ebony Beckwith. She's a chief philanthropy officer and CEO of Salesforce Foundation. Someone is helping the public schools. Stick with me. Tomorrow, join the CNBC Small Business Playbook Virtual Summit as we provide small business owners resources to survive today's crisis and a path forward to thrive. I'm going to be talking with Facebook's Sheryl Sandberg, and you don't want to miss it. Go to cnbcevents.com slash playbook and register now. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.